Um, we love you guys. We love being here with you. Best I can figure, probably 800 people have come through ICM in almost 13 years. Thir- uh, in about two weeks, we'll have our 13th anniversary of God replanting this dead church. And He has kept the doors open um, for these 13 years now. And as has been observed by many, ICM is a peculiar church and it is a long shot every day. Uh, it's astonishing. It's worship-provoking. Karen and I have got to watch it firsthand. He, kept, he has kept the door open and done and enabled ICM to be a huge part of planting an Italian church here. So, it's like, it's just a big deal. If you don't know the history and you're interested, I'll tell you some of it. But uh, it's a pleasure to meet with you in this redeemed garage and to worship the Lord. And every once in a while, I just need to say that. So, um, so how many of you know what science is learning about the human genome? <clears throat> I know some of you are inclined in this way. Um, first of of course, the DNA is the most amazingly compact and complex information system and transmission system ever observed. Yeah, you know, an archaeologist will find two random scratches on a cave wall somewhere and they will infer intelligence. But geneticists, naturalist geneticists, will look at a 3.5 billion character code within the 100 trillion cells within every one of your 100 trillion cells in your body and not infer intelligence. It's a kind of a mind-boggling thing, but we know that naturalism is a worldview. Naturalism is a presupposition. And the reason many believe in macroevolution is because they believe in macroevolution. That's why they believe in it, is because they believe in it. It's simply a presupposition. Um, so, um, it's important for us, and this is going to be, the, God willing, the topic of my second book, um, it's important for us to be knowledgeable, not only about what God has said He has done in the created order, but to be knowledgeable what emerging science is discovering. Um, and so we can help the culture put down the Kool-Aid, right? To stop drinking the Kool-Aid, um, known as macro-Darwinism. Uh, I'm just going to give you, this is free stuff, and then I'm going to get into the text, okay? But this is from a PhD in biology. One thing the study of the human genome is revealing is that humanity has not evolved, but in fact has. Someone tell me, you should know this. Humanity has what? We have not evolved, we have what? Devolved. We have devolved, okay? This is one thing the genome that's being seen in the genome. There is an observable and quantifiable de- degeneration in the human genome, that being harmful mutations that are accumulating at a measurable rate. Real-world mutation rates severely limit the longevity of man on the planet. Uh, this PhD in biology, uh, he actually says, probably no more than 200 generations. Um, if you don't know this stuff, you should read this stuff. And if you wait about a year and a half, you can read it in my book, okay? But this is important. We have not evolved, we have devolved. The, the human genome, fresh from the hand of God, um, 
Well, let me put it this way. Adam and Eve, fresh from the hand of God, they were vastly superior to us intellectually and physically. Yes, we have more accumulated knowledge, of course, but their prowess physically and mentally would have greatly exceeded our own. We have devolved, and all of this has a point, and it, it connects. It connects to the message. So, the world wants to tell us that Genesis and God and Adam and Eve are mythical. Well, well of course, if Adam and Eve are mythical, then Jesus Christ was very confused <laughs> about the historicity of mankind. And the Bible seems to be very confused um, about that. So, if you, don't, if you haven't caught up with emerging science, I challenge you to do it. Um, it's fascinating. I, I've been reading a lot about it lately, and I just have to put my book down and worship God, right? It's a beautiful thing. If you have drank the Kool-Aid, if you are still drinking the Kool-Aid, I challenge you to become informed. Um, evolution is nothing more, macroevolution is nothing more than a worldview. And uh, so... Why am I talking about this? Well, that's a lot of free stuff. Why am I talking about this? My point here is that, again, humanity has not evolved. We have devolved. Man mankind is merely a faint echo of what we were. The genome is nowhere near what it used to be. How does that happen? Why did that happen? We are fallen. We are under judgment. We rebelled against God. And all of the created order is subject to futility and corruption. Romans 8, 19-22. Let me just go there and read this to you. Most of you are familiar with this. Familiar with this. For the anxious longing of the creation awaits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him, because of Christ, Christ who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Slavery to corruption. Geneticists see the slavery to corruption in the genome. So we are free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God for we know that the whole generation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. These verses in Romans 8, among other things, they're talking, it's talking about, again, devolution. There is a corruption, not only within man, but within the whole created order. When man sinned against God, the asteroid on the farthest side of the cosmos was affected. The whole created order has been affected. The sin against God, mankind's sin against God, was so monstrous, it was so heinous, that the whole created order has been subject to futility and corruption. It's why natural disasters still happen. You know, when a natural disaster happens, you always hear, uh, you always hear the, the naturalist or the atheists or the agnostics or the materialists uh, wanting to say, well, where's God? Where's God? Why did this happen? You know, where's God? 
This earth is under judgment. It is subject to futility and corruption. The biblical worldview is the only worldview that has any intellectual integrity, ultimately. Um, so, I'll try to restrain myself. Uh, humanity is contaminated. It is altered. It is distorted. We are not what we once were, and we know it. Don't we know it? Don't we know that? Doesn't every right-thinking, self-aware, honest, unbiased person understand I am not what I was created to be? I feel it down in my bones. In my DNA, I feel it. I was made for more than this. I was made for someone much more important than simply myself. Life is about more than having fun and getting stuff. God lets us have fun and get stuff. But we all know life is about more than that. We intuitively know it. We instinctively know it. It's a Romans chapter 1 kind of thing. God put us in paradise with one prohibition and we rebelled. That's why the world's messed up. I tell you that quite often. We are broken because we broke ourselves. The genome, <laughs> back to that, is suffering harmful mutations because we are broken as a species. We are broken as a species. Again, I think every honest human being understands this. And as one theologian says, within mankind is the echo of Eden. The echo of Eden. I believe that's exactly right. Some believe science, technology, and secular education can get us back to Eden, can get us to some utopia. But science, technology, and secular education, it has no answer for the depraved heart of mankind. It has no answer for our sin nature. It has no answer for the outworking of God's righteous judgment and fierce wrath. We cannot sneak back into the Garden of Eden. It will not happen. It will not happen. We cannot correct the alteration. We cannot remedy the distortion. We cannot reverse the devolution. But wait a minute. That's why you're here tonight. The One who made us has. His name is Jesus Christ and He has redeemed us. He has redeemed us from the fall. Some of the synonyms for redeem. Jesus Christ has liberated, freed, emancipated, delivered, rescued, and saved us from corruption, from the altered state, from the distorted form, from devolution. So I'm going to go back to Romans 8, 19-22, and I'm going to read it to you from the Message Bible. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. Listen to what he says. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Now, this is the Christian worldview, right? We know we've fallen. We know we've been redeemed. And we know we're headed for eternity. The joyful anticipation deepens. All around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. 
But it's not only around us, it is within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. God is redeeming His people out of devolution. Out of death. Out of sin. Out of condemnation. Out of hell. It's what God is doing. So spiritually speaking, we understand that God is bringing us into freedom and glory. Sin is what? Someone tell me. Sin is bondage. Sin is slavery. Now, Satan told Adam and Eve that, hey, sin's better than God. And many of you, if not most of you, uh, have believed that for much of your life. Well, sin's better than God. Sin will make me happy. It'll make me happier than God. It'll fill me up. If I could just have that man, or if I could just have that woman, right? Or if I could just have a kid. Or if I could just get a lot of money. Or if I could just be successful in my career. I'll do anything for that. Because I believe it will give me what I want, which is a, a fulfillment and a completion. It's the lie of Satan. Sin does not satisfy. We talked about it Thursday or Wednesday night in young adult Bible study. Sin will always take you further than you want to go and it will always cost you more than you're willing to pay. But the true believer, we don't have to keep going down that road. We, in fact, are not going down that road. God has rescued us from that road. And now we see that God is vastly superior to any sin upon this planet. Right? It's an awesome thing. So we are free. We are the chosen. We are the adopted. And we are the sanctified. It's my next sermon in our impromptu sermon series, the, the We Get To series that we've been doing for the last five weeks or so. And tonight, what I want to tell you is as a, as a believer, as a genuine believer, a born-again believer, you get to be made holy. You say, well, Jim, I'm not, I don't see much holiness in my life. Well, then you have every reason to question your salvation experience. It's just a natural byproduct of, of conversion. Our affections change. We no longer are wholly enamored with sin and self-serving. Now we are wholly enamored with Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about perfection. None of us arrive at perfection. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's a change in the affections. I long to be holy. The true believer gets to be holy. It's when you find out what you were made for. It's when you find out true joy, true happiness, true delight. Sin is just a cheap, 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 cheap drug. It always costs a whole lot more than you're willing to pay. So we get to be holy. We get to be indwelt and changed and set apart by the Spirit of God. We get to be liberated from sin and corruption. We get to be made holy again like we were in Eden. We get to walk and talk with God. We get to be intimate with our Creator. We get to be holy. You can't hold my attention with sin anymore. I might fall into it. Christians do. But we won't stay there very long. It cannot hold my attention. I have met Jesus Christ and I love Him supremely. You know, for the born-again believer, sin has gone from... Well, prior, prior to conversion, we've given our affections to sin, right? 
sin holds our affection. After conversion, sin is our affliction, right? From affection to affliction. This is one, this is one way you can know if you're, if you're in the body of Christ. I mean, there are many, many ways, but this is one way you'll know. I used to love my sin and now I love Christ. Christ is first. Always first. Doesn't mean I'm sinless. As Paul tells us quite vividly in Romans chapter 7, there's always a fight. It's always a fight to be holy. Your flesh wants to do the easy thing. Your flesh wants to do the pleasurable thing. Your flesh wants to uh, aggrandize itself. But the one who's truly met Jesus, <laughs> sin has become an affliction and we are putting it down. We are putting it down. Just briefly, the last five weeks, we've talked about the fact that we get to pray, we get to sit in the lap of God, we get to talk to God, we get to listen to God, and we get to learn His will, and we get to love it. It's not give me this, give me that, give me this. It's okay to make your petitions. But ultimately, we are like Jesus and we are like Paul. Your will be done! That's what real prayer is. We get to experience the very best part of being a human being. Our second sermon, we get to worship God. We get to worship God. We get to enter into that profoundly deep and beautiful dimension of worship. God is our treasure and God is our pleasure. Thirdly, we talked about the fact we get to obey. It's not that I have to obey. I get to obey. I get to walk with Jesus Christ in a radical, life-altering, eternity-impacting way. Every day I live matters. That's not true. For the unbeliever, in the same sense that it's true for us. Every day I live as a son of God matters. I'm adopted son of God, and every day I live, it matters. God's going to work through me to change eternities, the eternities of those around me. Beloved, I don't care. I said this to you a couple weeks ago. I don't care how low you are or how difficult it is for you right now, your life always matters. You are a disciple of Jesus. Next thing we talked about is we get to believe. We get to believe every promise God has ever made to us. We get to believe every one of them. They belong to us. They are ours. We don't want to make the error of the prosperity gospel. They don't belong to us all now. We don't get to own everything now. God's not going to just make us healthy, wealthy, and wise uh, just now. He may give us that blessing to some degree or another. But the lion's share of all that God has for His people is not here but there. Last week we talked about the fact that we get to suffer. Jesus said there would be persecution, insults, and false accusations. Paul said there would be many tribulations. Jesus said there would be hatred and persecution. Peter said, don't be surprised by sharing the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We get to suffer. But that was not the title of my message. Does anybody remember the title of my sermon? Pardon me? We get to overcome. We will suffer. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. You can't read the New Testament and not understand if you decide to go with Jesus, you will suffer for it. There's no way you cannot understand that if you read it with any integrity at all. We will suffer, but we will overcome. We will overcome. It's a done deal. Suffering's a done deal, and overcoming is a done deal. It's what it looks like to be 
a Christian. So tonight, I want to just marvel at this sixth privilege that the Lord has put on my mind. We get to be holy. It's what the Bible calls sanctification. By the will of the Father, the work of the Son, and the power of the Spirit, we are being made holy. We are in one sense going back to the garden. We are learning how to walk intimately with God. There are two things that are true for the believer in this. One, we are, we are positionally holy in Christ. In Christ, we are holy. It's a done deal. Two, we are being made holy as we cooperate every day with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I, I, I remember, I've been a Christian a long time, 32 years now, and I remember, I used to read, Be holy for I am holy, 1 Peter 1.16, and it used to cause me a lot of anxiety. One, because I knew I wasn't holy. It's before I fully understood that I was holy in Christ, Right? But I knew I had a lot of sin in my life. I knew I wasn't holy. And it caused me a lot of anxiety. The second thing, I had a real misguided notion of exactly what holiness is. So for the born-again believer, we are in Christ. And the righteousness and holiness of Jesus is imputed to us. When the Father looks at us, He sees Jesus. I am positionally holy. It's a done deal. But I am being made holy. I am increasing in my sanctification as I submit and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in my life. What I want to say to you about having this misguided notion of holiness, I remember when I first became a Christian, I thought it sounded like a drag. I hate to admit this to you, but this is how superficial I was. <laughs> I was a Christian, but I thought, holiness? I was thinking, start shirt, chanting like a monk, sitting in a pew, you know. But, some of you already know, holiness is ecstasy. Holiness is Euphoria. Holiness is getting closer and closer and closer to God. Let me just read to you. Um, 18th century American theologian Jonathan Edwards, he, he understood my, my, my dilemma. This quote is very, very long. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read you a part of it. This is one of the things I missed about holiness. I, I first thought it was a drag. But the older I've gotten and the more I've walked with God, the, the more I realize it's the best rush there is. It's the best rush there is for a human soul to be connected with God in holiness through the work of the Spirit. Jonathan Edwards says, we drink in strange notions of holiness from our childhood as if it were melancholy, morose, sour, or unpleasant. Okay, I hope, if I don't do anything else here tonight, I hope that you walk out the door understanding that holiness is not melancholy, morose, sour, or unpleasant. Edwards continues, but there is nothing in it but what is sweet, and I love this, these two words, ravishingly lovely. 
If you've met Christ, you kind of understand that. If you haven't met Him, it doesn't make a lot of sense to you. Ravishingly lovely. I love that. Continue with Edwards. It is the highest beauty and amiableness, vastly above all other beauties. Tis a sweet, pleasant, charming, lovely, delightful, serene, calm, and still nature. It makes the soul like a delightful garden planted by God. Some of you may still think sin is more fun. Well, I'm praying that God will change your heart tonight. And I'm praying He'll change my heart where it needs to be changed. That we'll understand that holiness is beauty. Holiness is joy. Holiness is delight beyond human understanding. This is a great gift from God. It's a great privilege of the people of God. We get to be holy in a fallen world. It's an awesome thing. Just quickly, um, one of the fundamental meanings of the word holy, some of you may know this, is beauty. That's true in both the Hebrew and the Greek. And when the the four living creatures are standing there, are, are in the presence of God in Revelation 4, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. One thing they're saying is, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful is the Lord. Beautiful is the Lord. It's one of the clear meanings of the Word. These four living creatures, it's all they do is look at God. It's all they want to do is look at God. It's all they've ever wanted to do is look at God. My seminary professor used to say, if you tapped one on the shoulder, do you think he would turn around? No! He's not going to turn around. Not because he's rude, but because he's drinking in the beauty and the holiness of God. If we knew what we needed, we would be running to holiness. If we knew what we needed, and many of us are still confused about that to one degree or another. I might say all of us (laughs) to one degree or another. If we knew what would truly fill our souls, we would run to holiness. We would run to it. A machine gun could not stop us from running to holiness. There's this beautiful dimension about it that I I can't even begin to communicate. So, it's what sanctification is ultimately about. God getting us back to where we originally were designed to be in the consuming beauty and delight of God. One more quick quote about beauty. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. Listen to C.S. Lewis. We do not merely want to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words. We want to be united with beauty. We want to pass into it. We want to receive it into ourselves. We want to bathe in it. We want to become part of it. Oh, welcome to the body of Christ. This is what happens to the born-again, maturing believer who's being sanctified by the Spirit who's putting down their sin, who's proactively fighting their sin, what did the old Puritans say? Sin will kill you, so you must kill it. You must kill sin in your life. We talked about it Wednesday night. You can't pet the lion. Many of you in here think you can pet the lion. You can't pet the lion. The lion will consume you. 
You don't get to pet the lion. Run to holiness and you will find true joy. Don't listen to the world. It's a lie. Sin is a liar. Satan has always been telling the same lie. He's never had to make up another one. The original lie is this sin is better than God. Isn't that true in your life? Why does a man sin? Out of duty? I don't think so. A man sins because he's been deceived. A man sins because he thinks that sin is better than God. That's why a man sins. He thinks that sin's better than holiness. That, that sin's better than intimacy with God. That's why we sin. We sin because we're sinners. But sometimes we sin after thinking about it. <laughs> sometimes we sin in a reflexive way. But sometimes we think, wow, that sin would be better than God. Beloved, that is obviously a deception. So, holiness is beauty. I, I just want to plant that in your mind. If you don't know it, you need, holiness is beauty. Holiness is ecstasy. It's the inwork of the Holy Spirit within us. God's redeemed people are being filled with the beauty of the holiness of God. And God is taking us to the new heaven and the new earth which will be filled with the beauty of His holiness. <laughs> um, I think Jesus said it. Or was it Jesus? Without holiness, you'll never see God in a way that you want to see. So how do we get this holiness? Through the finished work of Jesus and the ongoing sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. And what I'm calling you to do tonight is to submit to that work, pursue that work, run after that work, let holiness be your greatest ambition. So we are moving to the new heaven and the new earth. We are being transformed by the God-initiated and God-empowered work called sanctification. And those of you who have been around for very long, you understand we preach a, a sovereign God here. We preach a God-centered Gospel. Uh, we understand that anyone who's saved, it's the work of God from beginning to end. But we also preach the, the corollary uh, truth that man is responsible. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. You must respond. You must exercise your faith. It's what Christians do. Real Christians don't say they have faith and never, ever, ever incarnate it or live it and live like the world and say, oh, shall we sin all the more so grace will abound? Paul says, no, of course not. No true believer would ever think like that. I don't sin all I can because I can because I have grace. That's deception. That is deception. So, we are moving on in holiness and we must exercise our responsibility. I love that great text. We've preached it in this church before. Philippians 2, 12-13. Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Don't you love that verse? Sovereignty, responsibility. 
Work it out. Work hard. Work hard at holiness. Work hard at sanctification. You're not earning your salvation. You're growing in holiness. And you are being a good steward of what God has given you. Work out your salvation with fear and trimming. I love what John Piper said about this. <laughs> he said, you know, he used to think that meant, well, I should tremble because I might not get it. What this, what he, I love what he said. I was listening to him while I was running the other day. He says, this is fear and trembling because God is in your life. Right? This is the fear and trembling the, the Christian growing in holiness has. God's in my life. God's changing my life. I'm becoming more and more and more like Jesus all the time. That's what he's talking about, I think. I think that's an excellent com comment. It is God who's at work in you. We have assurance of salvation because it's God's, it's God's work. I love what American preacher John MacArthur says about, about this passage. The believer must work out what God has worked in. It's what Christianity always looks like. Yes, there's a Romans 7 fight. There's always a Romans 7 fight, a war being waged in our members and in our mind and in our body. The principle of evil is present in me, Paul says. We get it. We're fighting it. It's one of the hallmarks of conversion. Are you in the fight? Are you in the fight? If you're not in the fight, I think you've got some questions to ask yourself. Let me quote John Piper again, American preacher. He says it like this regarding the Philippians passage. God works the miracle of sanctification and you act out the miracle of sanctification. Don't you love that? God works it in you. You must work it out. He goes on. He produces it in you. You must perform it. God produces it in you and you must perform it. If you don't use your will to act the miracle, there is no miracle. <laughs> it's all religion. It's all posturing. It's all performance. If it doesn't you know, come out of the hands and down through the feet and off the tongue, it's just all a game. He continues, God's sovereign enablement of holiness does not contradict the act of duty. It creates it. When God opens the eyes of the blind, it's the blind who see. When God heals the ears of the deaf, it's the deaf who hear. When God strengthens the lame, it's the lame who do the walking. This is how sanctification works, beloved. When God gives you His generosity, then you know how to give. Right? You give. God gives you the gift of generosity through His Spirit and you're the one who gives. God gives you mercy. You're the one who turns the other cheek. God gives you courage and you're the one who radically obeys Him. Right? You understand? God is sovereign, but you are responsible. <laughs> it's, it is the truth that runs through all of Scripture. We get to be holy. Beloved, we get to be holy. It's not some dry, stale, stifling, constraining religious burden. It is freedom. It is joy. It is delight. It is ecstasy. It is euphoria. As we get closer and closer and closer to being in conformity, complete conformity with Jesus Himself. 
Charles Wesley wrote this great old hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And he says, Jesus breaks the power of canceled sin. The sin is canceled. The sin is canceled. Jesus did that work. Your sin is canceled at the cross. And you conquer it every day you wake up. It's canceled, but you must conquer it. You must conquer it. You must be proactive. We get to be holy, beloved. We get to be holy. We get to be holy. Which means ultimately that if we embrace it, we get to live huge and we are ready to die well. We are alive to God, to God's beauty, to God's purpose in our lives. We are learning who we are and why we are. We have found our soul's delight in Christ Jesus. We are throwing off the corruption, the alteration, the distortion, the devolution. We are coming into a life of freedom and beauty in our God-given holiness. John Piper, one more time. Don't let salvation remain a vague, distant outcome. This is pervasive in what is called the modern church. Salvation is just some transaction I think I did here that I'll, I'll, re, I'll encounter again over there. I, love, I think this is brilliantly said. Don't let salvation remain a vague, distant outcome. Let it be a, delay, a daily deliverance from sin. You know, people come to me sometimes, they say, well, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. Do you, do you think I'm a Christian? I always say, uh, you're asking the wrong person. You have to ask God, and you have to look at your life, and you have to read 1 John. If you look like 1 John, you're a Christian. If you don't look like 1 John, most likely you are not. Piper says, act, act your deliverance, act your victory, act your dethroning and killing of sin in your life. End quote. Beloved, God means for us to incarnate the work He's doing in us. We get to be holy. We get to be enveloped in the ever-increasing beauty of God. We get to live in the ever-expanding freedom of God's redemption. Jesus has bought us out of sin, death, wrath, and hell, and we are headed to the new heaven and the new earth. I don't understand how any of you could walk out of here tonight and not be absolutely jazzed about that and not let it inform every decision for the rest of your life. You are the chosen. You are the saved. You are the redeemed. You are the sanctified. You are the children of God. And every promise He's made is yours. How can we live that small, beloved? How can we do it? How can we do it? I love... <laughs> you guys know what Hebrews 12.10 says. I'm going to read a couple passages to you and I'll be through. Hebrews 12.10 says uh, that the Lord disciples us for our good that we may share what? Someone tell me. Anybody know? He disciplines us for what? Our good that we may share in His holiness. His holiness. His holiness. I'm going to read you just three verses about some of what the Bible says about sanctification. And then we'll be done. First, uh, Romans 6, 11 and following. These are just excerpts, so just listen. Don't try to follow me. Just listen. If you want the excerpt, I'll... Email it to you from my notes. But please just listen. Listen to what God says about you and what God says about me. Consider yourself to be dead. 
to sin. Is that true of you? I'll just stop and ask, is that true of you? Is that how you see yourself? Are you dead to sin? He goes on, but you are alive to God in Christ. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Amen? So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome is your eternal life. I'm going to read Romans 8, 1-6. Paul says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For we do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. I think God is just putting up a mirror for us tonight. Each one of us. To examine ourselves. Are these things true in my life? And then I'm just going to close with the, what Kenneth read earlier, Romans 8, 12-17, because it's just so beautiful, right? This is where sanctification is taking us. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also... Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. We get to be holy. If there's not a lot of holiness going on in your life, or if you're battling mightily with sin in your life, I am the mouthpiece of God exhorting you with all love and concern. Put it down and go with God. Not so you can sit in some church with a stiff collar and chant like a monk, but because you can love God and know God and you can walk intimately with God. He is the best rush in the world. So I lovingly challenge you. God says we get to be holy. 
Can you see the results of sanctification in your life? Is it obvious? You're not who you were. You're not who you want to be. But you're on this path. You are being sanctified. You are being changed. You are discovering who you really are and why you're really here. You are being made holy. Beloved, it's an awesome thing. It's like going back to the garden. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for these words. You have rescued us from our own self-inflicted devolution. You have prepared a new heaven and a new earth for Your people. Increasingly, Lord, Your Spirit continues to work holiness in our life. So Lord, we pray that we would be cooperative. Lord, that holiness would not be some vague concept. But we would understand it's Your beauty. You are the eternally and infinitely happy God. And You are holy. Lord, for those of us here who don't fully understand, I pray that Your Spirit, your spirit would teach us. Life's too short. It's just too short to be deceived by sin when you have blown open the door of holiness. Help us, Father, we pray. Help us in this. And we give all glory, honor, and praise to your beautiful and matchless name, your holy name, the name of Jesus. Let me dismiss you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be glorious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace. God bless.